ministry together. So, uh, my name is John Hinkiebein. As I said, I'm on staff at Riverside. I do middle school through high school there. And then I also uh, am on part-time staff with Young Life. And so, um, it's really fun to get to visit with you guys this morning and to get to spend some time with y'all. Um, I've been married about seven years now or so. Uh, my wife, his name is Christy, and she is a school teacher. Excuse me, I've been sick and my voice is going to dry up like a 13-year-old boy hitting puberty, so I'm sorry about that. But um, yeah, so I've been married about seven years, and it is so fun to be married. And last year we had um, a big surprise come into our lives, or as we like to call it, the best whoops moment in our marriage so far. And we welcomed our uh, first daughter into our relationship, and her name is Ryan. And she's sweet. And I brought a picture of her, but we couldn't get it on the slides. We couldn't figure it out. So just imagine this cute little girl going up there and be like, oh, she's beautiful. So that's my daughter. And so it's really fun uh, to get to be a dad for the first time. And so um, as I was saying, my wife's a school teacher, and her job is not real, real flexible. And so that leaves me being Mr. Mom, and that means that I get to take care of Ryan most days. And I absolutely love it. She is hilariously funny, and uh, I think she is just, I think the world of her. And we laugh all day long. We go to the zoo. We go to staff meetings. Everywhere I go, she gets to go with me. And I was so nervous about that when, before she was here because, I mean, what do you really talk to a baby about? Like, I didn't know what to do. I'd be like, hey, how's your weekend? Did you see a movie? I mean, I didn't really know how to talk to a baby until now, and my, my heart's just overflowed with joy for this um, sweet little girl. And so it's so fun. And um, so I take her to staff with me. I take her everywhere I go. And part of the, the fun part of that is, is I get to, people love to talk about their kids. I love to talk about Ryan. And uh, in fact, I was studying for this this morning, for this weekend, and I was in a little coffee shop um, in town, which is always kind of weird to say when you live out in Spring Branch, we're going in town, it's just weird. And so I was in town doing a little studying, and I bump into this couple I've never met before, and we start talking, they have a set of twins, and we're talking about babies and this and that, and is your baby walking yet, is your baby doing this yet, and we just have this fun conversation about how uh, fun it is to be parents. And so, and even yesterday I was in the grocery store and I was uh, checking out at line and this older lady was just saying how her heart is breaking because all of her kids are grown up now. And I was just saying, you know, she's only eight months old, but it kills me that she's already crawling around and pulling herself up and, you know, just how heartbreaking it is to see them get a little bit older. And so... Um, but really, it doesn't matter what it is, because whether it's a baby or whatever, if you love it, we're going to hear about it, right? It could be anything, like I love Rudy's Barbecue. I'm sure you guys do. It's the best in town. And I will sit there and talk all day long about why Rudy's Barbecue is the best barbecue of all time and why it's my favorite thing ever or could be your favorite movie like I love to go see movies but I haven't seen a movie in a while because of the baby but I love to go watch movies and I could argue all day about like why my movie is the best movie and why I love it more than anything else or you know I, like I said I do youth ministry and so people send me funny YouTube videos all the time they be like dude John you got to check out this video on YouTube you won't believe what happens to this cat and the cat actually lives at the end of the video just watch it it's hilarious and so um, it doesn't really matter what it is, because if you love it, 
you're going to talk about it. Like, I don't have to go to a seminar to know the five reasons why I love Ryan. And I don't have to go to a seminar or no one has to teach me how to talk about how I love Rudy's Barbecue. And you can kind of see where I'm going with this this morning a little bit. Why is it that when it comes to my relationship with Jesus and what goes on in this place, there's such a different response? I'm such a different person. Most of the time, um, when it comes to inviting people to journey with me and with my journey with Jesus, I find myself in one of two camps, one of two positions. It's either I'm really awkward and kind of creepy about it, or I'm silent and I don't say anything. And I imagine that if we're honest, and if you guys would just lean in a little this morning, is that where we have all kind of find ourselves? Is that the kind of response that we have? That's true for me and for my life, and I hate it. Because I can sit there and talk about all day um, about things that I love and about my daughter and about... You know, we don't have cable at our house, but last month the cable just automatically came on, which is, I think, the way the cable company, like, sucks you in to, like, buying cable. And so I've been watching The Ultimate Fighter. If you guys like this show, it's, it's bad. But I love to watch it. I love Kimbo, and he lost last week, and I'm sitting there talking all day about why he's the best ever, and I love him so much. And why is it that I can talk about all this meaningless stuff and But when it comes to what I say is the most important thing in my life, what I claim is most important, I'm weird or I'm silent about it. And so here's what I want us to go for this morning. Um, Yes, absolutely, Jesus invites every one of us into this beautiful, personal, intimate relationship with him. Absolutely. And... Jesus invites us into a personal relationship with him, and he invites us into a personal relationship with those who are far from him, people that could care less about him. Jesus invites us into a personal, but not an individual relationship with him. And if you want to know the direction of your life, if you want to know where God is going to take you in business, in your life, in school, what college you're going to go to, whatever. If you want to know the direction God is leading you in life, he is leading you in the direction of the lost, the broken, the outcast, the marginalized, the poor, the people that could care less about him. And so um, this morning we're going to jump into one of my favorite stories. It's the story of Levi. Levi. And it's not just a random story. Um, It's got a lot of context and background. But um, I recognize that in a room this size, and I know it's a holiday, semi-holiday weekend. Um, I know you guys are out of school, which is always great. Um, Which is weird because in Spring Branch, we don't have off for Martin Luther King or Columbus Day. But we have off for Fair Day out there, which is always strange when they all go to the rodeo. And it's just strange. And so uh, this morning, I recognize that not all of us are um, uh, Jesus followers, but if you are, we got a lot of unpacking to do this morning. And we're going to look at some text and look at some scripture that I think is, hopefully will wreck our lives in a good way. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I can't imagine a better Sunday for you to come because you're going to get to see the heart that God has for you and his invitation to you. And so the first scripture we're going to roll through... Um, it's found in Luke 5:27. Excuse me. 
Um, it's the calling of Levi. And before we jump into the story, let me give you just two seconds of background uh, story. It's so in the early stages of Jesus' ministry. He's just kind of getting started. And the crazy, this crazy thing is beginning to happen that people are actually like literally beginning to believe what Jesus says. Like they're really taking him at his word. And people are beginning to follow him and experience what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, and uh, specifically, um, he is hanging out with two sets of brothers, James and John and Peter and Andrew. And uh, they're in this little fishing town called Capernaum. And all and these two sets of brothers have seen all these crazy things happen. They've seen people be uh, that have leprosy been healed of leprosy. They've seen people that have been paralyzed be brought back. And they've seen demon people being possessed by demons. Uh, demon has come out of them. And so they have seen some crazy, crazy things. That's kind of the context of the story we're opening, uh, going to get into. But what happens in this story is probably the most wild crazy thing imaginable that the disciples have ever seen or could have ever have imagined. And so let's get after it this morning. It's found in Luke five twenty seven through 29. I love the screens on both ends. It says this, later as Jesus left the town, he's, he saw a tax collector naming, named Levi sitting at his tax collector booth. He said, follow me and be my disciple. Um, so Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Okay, um, uh, I think I'm being back, sorry. Um, there's these strange little places in Scripture, strange little places in the text, where Jesus is just walking down the road, and like he actually says, come follow me to some random guy, and they like literally drop everything that they ha- are doing and everything around them, and like come and follow Jesus. And it's not because Jesus is like this strapping young buck, or he's got this cool glade, um, glaring into their eyes, or they're just drawn to Jesus. It's because if we can put it in the context of rabbi and disciple, then it begins to make a little bit more sense to us. You see, a rabbi would have been the most respected person in this whole community. Most respected. Everyone wanted to follow a rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi. And, and uh, so everybody would have loved to have gone and followed this guy, to sit at his feet, and to learn from this guy. And so when Jesus is walking down the road and says, come follow me, we see something crazy, something really crazy happens right here. Okay, the rabbi is always teaching his disciples everywhere he goes. So like if uh, a rabbi is walking and he kind of walks around a rock a certain way, his disciples would do the exact same thing. Literally try to put their foot in the exact footsteps where the rabbi walked. Or if he went around a tree and put his hand on a tree and kind of brushed the tree aside, his disciples would literally like try to put their hands exactly where this rabbi touched. And it's not because, not, it's not just because they wanted to know what uh, the rabbi knew, but they wanted to actually become like this rabbi, to become him. And so if a rabbi is always teaching his disciples something, what is he teaching his disciples right now? What is he teaching these sets of brothers? Okay, Levi's a tax collector, probably one of the most hated men in all of the community. I don't know who they would compare to today, but probably some of the most hated men in all of the community. And uh, most of the time they were Jewish people that had sold out their own countrymen, our own people, and now were working for the Romans. And uh, they had a bottom line that they had to collect. And uh, anything over that bottom line that they collect was theirs for the profit. Or theirs, that's how they made their living. And so tax collectors were notorious, just notorious 
for hosing people and taking their money and making up just all this random stuff. Um, and so they were hated by their own people. They were being used by the Romans. And uh, most of the time they were kept out of worship, which is so central to the Jewish culture and the way of life. And so we find Levi here. And that's Levi's world. Somebody who is incredibly, incredibly wealthy, but relationally broke, relationally poor. And Levi was from Gimperdium. Okay, so you have these two sets of brothers following Jesus, and they are also from this town called Capernaum. And Capernaum is not a very big town, and my odds are, or my hunch is, is that they've either run across Levi by reputation, where Levi's had employees come take money from them, or they've actually met Levi before. And so... Um, imagine what was going through their mind when Jesus went to Levi, the least of the least, to somebody that was outcast by all of society, and said, come and be my disciple. Think about that. Think about how that would have, how that would have rocked his world. Sorry, I'm getting a little feedback. Um, and to Levi, think about what he, what he heard. Is somebody like Jesus wants to know somebody like me? Absolutely, I am in. Sign me up. Where do I, when can I start? And so Levi is this guy that's so on the outside, so forgotten, so hated. And Jesus invites him into this personal relationship with him. And he's teaching his disciples this. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, this is where we're going. This is where we're heading. Um, excuse me. This is where we're going. This is where we're, this is where we're heading. And we find later, if you know the full story of Levi, Levi, Jesus actually gives Levi a new name. His name is Matthew. And he is one of the authors of the gospel. And so it's crazy that Jesus invites the lowest of the low, somebody on the outside, and his disciples see this. And they can't believe it. And we'll go to the next scripture and keep rolling through it. It says this. Uh, later, Levi held a banquet in his hometown with Jesus as the guest of honor, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and, the te- and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And so uh, Levi has this huge party for Jesus. And he invites all of his, his buddies to come. In the, excuse me, in the scripture says here, in a real kind of a churchy way, um, that uh, his... Levi invited his other fellow tax collectors and other guests with him, which um, in the book of Mark, it says this. It says it this way, which I like a lot better. It says that Levi invited other notorious sinners to eat with him. And I love that. I love the heart of that. You see God's heart. You see that Levi didn't invite some like JV freshman scrub sinner. Like he invited this varsity sinners, the people that were notorious for living a lifestyle that had nothing to do with Jesus and following God. And those are the people that Levi um, wanted to be around. And so we find Jesus in this story had no problem being with all the wrong people with, at the wrong time in the wrong place, doing all the wrong things with all the wrong people. He doesn't care about what others will think about him. He doesn't care about who he's hanging around. He doesn't care about his reputation at all. 
But if I'm honest, like sometimes I can read scriptures like this and it kind of, I see stories where Jesus is hanging out with these people and we kind of care about protecting Jesus, which is, which is weird, I think, is that we try to protect Jesus and we're like, well, I'm sure Jesus was at the party, but not really at the party. And the wine he was drinking was probably really crushed grapes and it's not really, he's in the world, but not of the world. And, you know, it's real easy to make excuses or I, I can find it real easy to kind of deal with the fact that Jesus is hanging out with these people. But the bottom line is, is we have to get uncomfortable with who Jesus is around. We have to be uncomfortable comfortably with that. Because he was totally comfortable. And in fact, not just here, but in many other scriptures, many other texts, we find this is exactly where Jesus wanted to be. We see Jesus' heart very, very clearly here. And what is so classic here, which we do so well, um, especially in like church world, I guess, is think about who the Pharisees are mad at right now. They're not, they're mad at Jesus, but who do we find them complaining to? We find them complaining to the disciples, which is so classic because I find myself doing that all the time where I'm mad at somebody and I'm so mad at them that I go talk about it to somebody else. And it's such a strong, manly thing to do, you know? And this is what the disciple, this is what the Pharisees and all these religious people are doing. They're taking the coward's way out and they're complaining not to Jesus about what's going on, but to his disciples. And let's look at the next scripture and see what it has to say, and then we'll wrap it up. It says this, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The Pharisees are not even complaining to Jesus. And it's like Jesus' heart is so broken and it's so for these other notorious sinners, these people that shouldn't even and all right to be there, that he has to put a stop to all the bickering and complaining of the Pharisees. That he says, I have not come for the healthy, but I have come for the sick. And so get this, journey, just open, let's lean into this this morning, just a possibility. Absolutely, Jesus invites us into a personal, intimate relationship with him. But he also invites us into a personal relationship with those who are far from him. And it's such a defining moment for Jesus in his whole life, in his whole ministry. And my hope for us this morning, my hope for you, my hope for Alamo Heights, my hope for New Heights, my hope for Riverside, is that this scripture would be a defining moment for our communities, that we would no longer say that it is okay to have an individual relationship with Jesus. That's not what he gave his life for. That's not his heart. Yes, it's personal. Yes, it's intimate. Yes, it's colorful and wild and crazy and beautiful. Yes, but it's not individual. That's not the heart of Jesus. And just like that, Jesus called out the Pharisees. I've not come for those who think they have it all together. In fact, I've come for the people that that know they don't. And so on one side of the room, we have all like these religious people that have following Jesus down to like an art form. And it's really a science. And that's really all it is to them. It's cold and it's ritualistic and it's calculated, it's safe, and it's predictable. And they stand on this side of the room and say things like, man, if those people could just get their stuff together, if those people could just quit that addiction, if those people could just stop that lifestyle, 
those people could just, if those people could just, if those people could just. And it's hoop after hoop after hoop they jump through. And there are whole groups of people who have settled for this thing called Christianity that is, that is really nothing more than religion. And saying, just if they could just change and come to my side of the room, we'd all be okay. And I imagine that, like, I'm equally as divided about this. I, I'm, I'm right here with us, with you. I'm right in the middle of this. I'm, I'm, I'm equally as divided. Um, I, if you leave me alone, I will turn this full picture of following Jesus into an individual one. And I will migrate to this safe and predictable side of the room where it's easy to do church things, honestly. And I don't think that's the heart of Jesus. You see, tolerance is not okay in the kingdom. It's not okay to tolerate somebody. Because tolerance means that we don't have to be invested and that we don't have to know their story and that we don't have to love them fully. And man, honestly, I'll just confess to you, I'm such a coward at this sometimes. Why do I find it so easy to love somebody when it's convenient and it's easy and it's, and it's good for me, honestly. Man, can we not have the courage to love somebody till it hurts? Can we not have the courage to love somebody the way that Jesus has loved us so well? Man, that's, that's the heart I want. And so I wonder, you know, just as we kind of roll through this calling of Levi and how Jesus has divided this room, I wonder, you know, what would happen if, he said those words to us in this community and in this place this morning. I mean, which side of the room would we be on? I mean, would we be on the side of the room that's with all the, the notorious sinners, which I love. I love that way they say that. All the varsity sinners over here. And could we say, man, these are my people. Like I've been loving these people for the last five years and not one of my friends knows Jesus yet. Not one of them does. And they may never know Jesus, but you know what? I'm going to love them so well. I'm going to love them without an agenda. I'm going to love them because that's the way that God has loved me. Free from agendas, free from anything. I'm just going to love these people because that is what the Lord has asked of me. And potentially, like I'm the only glimpse of Jesus these people may have, have in their lives. And that's okay with me. You know, if that's my heart. I would love to be on that side of the room. Or would we be on the side of the room over here? that is safe and predictable and easy, that really doesn't have anything to do with that side of the room. It's so hard for me because if you leave me alone, like I said, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to talk about the nice Christian CD that I like to listen to or this Bible study that I like to do or, or this great Christian speaker or this sermon that I like to listen to or whatever. You know, I was even in the Christian bookstore um, this couple weeks ago and I walk in there and it my heart my heart breaks at what we've turned this relationship into Jesus. We've turned this journey with him into this safe, cheesy place of stupid slogans and Christian breathments called testaments and all this literally that that's what they're called. They're called testaments and it breaks my heart when I walk in there because we've created this safe world where we can literally have nothing to do with the other side of the room. And that's not the heart of God. That's not why Jesus came. And that's not what he gave his life for.
you know, um, excuse me. I, uh, like I said, I, I get to do youth ministry up at Riverside and every Sunday I meet with about eight or ten guys and we go to lunch at the same restaurant every single week. And this is what all of this means to me because I, you know, I, maybe we'll put some skin around it and do some practical stuff, but this is what this means to me is that every Sunday we go eat at the same restaurant every single Sunday. And my guys, they hate it. We partially go there because in Spring Branch there's only like four places to eat out there and there's not that great of a choice. But the other reason is this. is Man, I want to get to know the people that, that are at this restaurant we go to. Every single Sunday, me and my ten guys, we eat there every Sunday. And... Dude, let me tell you something that's crazy. I've been there with my daughter, Ryan. As I told you, I take her everywhere. And this sweet little girl that works behind the counter, um, me and her have started to talk a little bit, and I kind of have a friendly relationship with her. And she asks about Ryan, and we talk a little bit about kids. And she has two daughters already, and she's like 19 or 20. And it's not weird when I'm at the gas station out there, and I bump into her filling up her car, And I'm not weird, and I'm not creepy, and I'm not silent when I go ask her, how how are you doing? It's good to see you. And she says, well, I'm pregnant again with my third, and I'm a little scared. And it's not weird for me anymore, and I'm not silent. The Lord has opened that door. And I don't walk her through the salvation message, and I'm not going to invite her to go to church with me. I'm just going to love this person right in front of me. I think that's the heart of Jesus. You know, I don't, I purposely don't have a Christian barber I go to. I don't, I'm not involved in any, like, I love to run and, and to do marathon stuff. And I'm not a part of a Christian running club. I'm not a part of a Christian book club. And, and I'm not saying that those things are bad because those things are really healthy. And I think we need those things. But when we settle for just such a small slice of, of Christianity, we're missing the fuller picture. Like, I, I just, those things are great, and I affirm those, and I think they're important, but I don't want to be a part of those anymore. Man, don't we have enough Christian stuff out there? Can we be honest? Can we say that, man, we have enough Christian stuff out there, and we don't have enough people loving people that could give a rip about Jesus? We don't have enough people loving those that are far away from Jesus. You know, it's funny, we say far away from Jesus, and if we're honest this morning, just from rolling through the scripture, when we look at it, if we see that's where Jesus' heart is, if that's where God's heart is, if that's where Jesus is leading, and I don't have the courage to go to those people, then it is not them who are far away from Jesus, it's me. That's the reality of it. If I don't have the courage to go to the marginalized, to the broken, to the poor, to the kid that doesn't have any friends at school, to the guy that sits alone at the lunch table, to my coworker who is going through hell right now. If I don't have the courage to do that, I'm missing out on the fuller picture of the thing that Jesus gave his life for. So my hope for myself, really, for you, for this community, for Alamo Heights, that this would be a defining moment for us. Because it was a defining moment for Jesus in his ministry that he said, I have come not for the healthy, but for the sick and for those who know they need to repent. 
Could that be our heart this morning? Could that be our heart really for our lives? That we won't settle for the safe, predictable, let's be honest, the boring, silly, small God anymore? Can we have the courage to chase after the God who's risky and who's dangerous and vulnerable and that one that invites us into loving people that are really hard to love? That's my hope for us. That's my hope for me. That's my hope for our community. Let me pray for us. God, it is fun to be together. We say with one voice that this is the place that we find strength and courage, God, to go another week. God, I know that a lot of us are tired and broken. And God, we need what you have. And it's here that we get that, Lord, in community. There's so much power in community. And God, we will repent and say that no longer will we settle for this small picture of you. God, we, don't, we confess that we have turned a personal relationship to Jesus into an individual one. And that is not okay with us anymore, God. Give us the courage to go where you are already at, Lord. Let that be our heart this morning. God, wreck our lives in the best way possible, Lord. Make us uncomfortable. Give us your heart, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray.